Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that. Well, in light of what happened at Indiana University, in light of what happened in California, there's been an arrest, by the way, in that case, in light of what happened in Jersey City, where the uh, member of the Board of Education has justified the shootings that took place last week, uh, what could you tell us this week about the state of anti-Semitism in America? It's certainly alive and well, and we've seen more incidents uh, of anti-Semitism, although I have to say that there were positive uh, developments as well. And one in particular is in the case of uh, Great Britain, which has adopted uh, under the new government uh, very stringent rules about participation in BDS-related activities, uh, essentially saying that all government ministries have to abide by government policies. They don't want independent uh, foreign policies uh, by different uh, agencies like Department of Education, Foreign Ministry, etc., and that they're all not to participate in boycott um, uh, measures right. and that the... Um, uh, you know that they're going to be held to account for if they if they do, but the the um, nature of the uh, of the legislation is a, is such an important message, and even alludes to the fact that it leads to anti-Semitism and and actions against Jewish students. So it's quite a remarkable uh, first step, uh, and I think another important thing that that legitimized a lot of the concerns uh, about about BDS and the, the recent book, Terrorists uh, in Suits, uh, where there was an arrest this week of a leader of the PFLP, the head of their operations in the West Bank, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is a terrorist entity, and Khalida Jarrar was also uh, the vice chairman and director and board member of Adamir, which is a, the, one of the key BDS organizations, and seminal organizations uh, of BDS, and it shows, and only one example of the overlap between terrorist organizations and the BDS, and that they are part of the operational leadership, uh, which is something that we've been trying to get the, the message out about. But here you have a very dramatic uh, example, and half of Adamir's current and former employees and their lawyers have links to the PFLP and others with ties uh, to Hamas. So it's a it's a very important message, and I hope it will get picked up, and I hope it'll be picked up here in the United States you know, uh, as well. Just back for a second to Boris Johnson. He, I mean, he was elected less than a week before he made this announcement about the BDS situation. Um, and I know that we, as a community, you know, always feel this should be at the forefront. I get that. But didn't you find that unusual, that one of the first things he's doing after this election is, you know, declaring what he plans to do policy-wise regarding BDS. Was that somewhat of a surprise? It, it was, but it was, uh, it's a long-held position of his and uh, consistent with the things that he said he would do. Uh, I think another sign of it is the visit, the official state visit by uh, Prince Charles, the first state visit by a British official to Israel, and to, he's going to the West Bank as well. But the fact that you have an official visit being paid, and that need requires government approval, uh, I think is, a, is another one of those important declarations 
um, that are coming out because of the uh, positions that he's taken. He certainly um, started moving right out of the box with uh, on, on a lot of different fronts, consistent with with uh, what he had yeah. said he would do. So an extra bonus for those who um, campaigned for him because they were intolerant of the anti-Semitism of some of the others. Uh, an extra bonus would this be? Although, frankly, <laughs> some who campaigned fearful of the anti-Semitism of the others may, may not be that happy with his with Johnson's approach to BDS. But that's a separate story. Uh, I, I I would hope that most people. Uh, who were supporters of his uh, on the conservative side are are happy with the fact that he's uh, making this an important part of his policy. Well, I think I think it's safe to say that uh, that they are very happy, and it's one of the reasons why, certainly in the Jewish community, he got uh, more support, let alone Corbyn's uh, anti-Semitism, and it's a chance for the Labor Party now to rebuild and in a different image. If they if they can, and uh, get away from the the burdens that uh, Corbyn uh, placed upon them with his uh, bigotry and anti-Semitism, and of course some of the other policy is espoused. It's, it was a landslide victory, and that is of course always an important message. And I was glad you brought up the whole uh, BDS slash terror connection. Uh, what do you think of the U.S. Treasury Department sanctioning this art dealer? Uh, for allegedly using his gallery to fund a terrorist group? Well, we are seeing that the administration, uh, Treasury Department, others, uh, state, are uh, taking this sanctions regime very seriously. They, they just imposed new sanctions on, on Iranians, um, and they're going after those who aid and abet. It's not just the terrorists who, who are being sanctioned. But when you start going after those who supply the weapons to Hezbollah, those who facilitate, you know, the fact that Mahan Air, which is a major air carrier and was being used to ferry troops and weapons to Lebanon and to Syria, um, the, the uh, national um, uh, shipping carrier, mm-hmm. uh, that all of these guys are being uh, are being sanctioned for, for what they did is a very important statement. You know, they, they play up the fact that the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., um, talked after a recent dis- discussion in, in the United Nations Security Council yesterday and where the Iranian ambassador made this uh, heartfelt plea for a girl who died because she wouldn't get medicine right. and blamed the U.S. sanctions. And right. people were wondering whether this was a signal of something new or was it just simply the ambassador's decision. But at the same time, you see that they that – they, um, um, uh, keep imposing these uh, more and tougher and tougher sanctions, which are having an impact. It's not something you see as you do when a bomb explodes, but it's, believe me, it is an economic bomb and has tremendous uh, impact. And uh, the more that we can uh, discourage people from doing business, and they are desperate for, for business, they, I know that uh, Iran is um, is doing stuff in Venezuela, and so is Turkey, by the way. Uh, but they, they're having harder and harder time affording the things that they did before. Obviously, the people of Iran pay the price because they uh, the government diverts the money both to themselves and to their adventurous activities. Uh, and we, we've seen more adventurism on the part of Iran. I might as well just... Uh, uh, mention it, you know, that, that 20 IRGC, Iran Revolutionary Guards vessels, uh, started harassing the the Lincoln, the USS Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, which is an aircraft carrier, and its group. Uh, it's a strike group that 
patrols in the northern Arabian Sea area, and they they uh, came within 400 yards of of the aircraft carrier, and that could easily lead to a, a very serious uh, incident. And they they are. Uh, boasting about the fact that when Guterres, the Secretary General of the U.N., said that he couldn't identify the weapons used in the attack on Yemen, saying this is proof we were right, that it was the Yemeni's armies took, Yemeni army took responsibilities if they have the capability themselves to do it, and that it was against the Saudis and the UAE for their attacks in, in, inside of the Yemen. Um, and the, um, uh, they're saying that this exculpated them and it shows you how what might have been just uh, in act mentioned saying that they didn't have conclusive proof, although there seems to be more than enough evidence, uh, how it, it's misused and used. And, and they blamed, of course, the U.S., Britain, Germany, and the Zionist regime for, <laughs> for doing it. You know, this is it has to be in there no matter what they do. But now they're still talking about taking further steps to reduce their commitment to the JCPOA. The Europeans continue to support them, even though they're, they're working against them on every front, and that there, there's uh, more and more evidence of you know their activities in Europe and elsewhere, that the fact that they can arrest people who participated in the strikes and sentence them to five years, and, and they weren't striking against the government, it was against uh, back pay that they were owed, and yet we don't get the reaction from all the labor unions and supporters in, in, in Europe and elsewhere uh, for the people uh, in, in Iran. And it's the, the record is so apparent and so clear across the board about Iranian activities uh, and increasingly uh, aggressive activities. And by the way, it's true of, of uh, Turkey almost in a parallel way as well. Yeah, and as you said last week, they seem to be in a – they seem to be in a head-to-head race when it comes to uh, these these areas of conflict. Um, and today, in one of your headlines, uh, Rouhani says that Iran is testing new uranium enrichment centrifuges. So it's not like that they are. And, and I know that this they're is, boasting about it, right? Exactly. This is different. They're throwing it in the face of the West, and and they're waiting to see does the West re- react to it. Uh, uh, you know, we just mentioned Turkey. Look what Turkey's doing off the coast of Cyprus. They shaped, they chased away an, Amer- an Israeli. Uh, oil exploration uh, ship, um, and they are challenging in the the world by announcing that they and Libya are going to have a joint um, uh, maritime linkage, meaning across 400 miles of the Mediterranean, and that they're claiming this is their exclusive economic zone, which means that nobody else can drill there, and they're trying to block Israel from having its the uh, pipeline to to Europe. And the um, and of course Cyprus. We know that they've sent also additional weapons uh, into Cyprus. Uh, into Cyprus, and most of all, they're letting Hamas outside leadership, meaning outside of Gaza. It's in Iran, and they are giving more and more orders for attacks in Israel from there. Even though Turkey signed an agreement in 2015 that they would not allow the Hamas operatives uh, to be there. And that, uh, you know, it's in keeping with the Muslim Brotherhood attitude of, of Erdogan and, and the direction the country uh, is going in. Hamas, you know, which used to be funded by Saudi Arabia, now it's, it's, it, um, it's Turkey with, uh, I mean, Iran with a, a degree of Qatar, and now Turkey moving in, also in Venezuela, also in, in other places, because the markers aren't putting down. This is a member of NATO. This is a country that has received assistance from us. They're talking about closing our bases there in Serlik, 
is a, a base with na- nuclear weapons. And the um, uh, so there's a slew of activities, and it's the and the Europeans continue to close their eyes to all of these violations. They don't say a thing about what's going on in Lebanon now, where Hezbollah obviously is is dominant. Um, Hariri wouldn't run, so they they're picking a new president that is not acceptable, it seems to anybody. He's a professor, and it's not because of him. It's because it's being dictated, and and the law they requires, the Constitution requires that he be a, a Sunni, and the, the president is Christian, and the uh, prime minister is um, is Shiite. So we're seeing the destabilization. We're seeing that that all of these activities going on, and and one more example, if I can, sure. you know that the PA outlawed all LGBTQ whatever activities. They outlawed it. It's not a question that they have to go and uh, address the specific thing. There was a planned gathering in Nablus. They outlawed it, and they're not. And they, their only um, offices of their organizations are in Haifa and East Jerusalem, because they can't have an office uh, inside. And they talked about the value to higher, the damage to higher values and religious and Palestinian ideals, etc. Where, where is the outcry? Where's the, the the all of those who are demonstrating on the campuses and stuff saying a word uh, about this? It's really amazing, and we see the double standard all the time being manifest. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Does it come down geographically to whoever ends up controlling Iraq? Because we know about the activities that the Iranians have had in Iraq in terms of um, you know, moving troops in, etc. That's been one of the stories over the last few months that we keep hearing about, and you and I have discussed it. It, it, it. Could there be a time when whoever controls that border, meaning the border between Turkey and Iran, with you know some type of assistance or some type of infiltration into Iraq could be the key to a Turkish-Iranian showdown? It, it definitely, um, it definitely could be. But there's another player. <coughs> Sorry, yesterday we learned that the Russians oh. have announced that they're going to put five hundred million dollars into the, the base in in uh, in Syria in Tartus. You know, I've mentioned this for many years about their activities there because they wanted they built a naval base, an air force base, but they've been targeting it for many many years. This gives them an outlet directly to the Mediterranean and a presence there, which enables them to have a greater influence in the region. Uh, and as you know, their investment in Syria is minimal, but their role is a, is a dominant one. And now. They're building, putting in $500 million into a commercial port, so they will have control over what comes in and out and, and uh, be able to use it for their own purposes as, as well. But they're also planning, they said, a railroad across Syria and Iraq to the Persian Gulf. So it goes right to your point. This is a question of, of dominance, and, and the fight over the border with Iraq uh, the Iraqi people are demonstrating increasingly against the Iranian presence. Uh, there's a fight over who will become prime minister there as well. Uh, and a parallel, in, in a sense, the demonstrations in Beirut and in Baghdad, demonstrations against Iran, religious leaders in both countries speaking out against the the um, Iranians, even Hezbollah, uh, even, I'm sorry, Shiite religious leaders, and the um, 
the concern, U.S. concern, of course, and we've had more troops in Iraq and we have a, a big investment there, um, to, to have stability there. It's an oil-rich country. It could be a very important cornerstone to stabilizing the region, but it also is an operational base through against Jordan to Israel, which would open up another front, um, and uh, we, we are giving more money now to Jordan to, to build the um, uh, walls around the country on, on the Iraqi border, uh, and as well as to give them uh, some more weapons. But the, the situation, you know, is never sure in in uh, Jordan. Well, I mean, true or false, Turkey would have to be out of their minds to take on a Russian-backed Iran in a conflict like you just described. Because I mean, the, 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 how would they ever match up with the firepower that 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 Russia could supply? the Iranians with, in addition to their presence in Syria, in addition to extending the area that the, you know, the, the potential battle would take place? Well, if the Europeans back Turkey or if others do, and as a member of NATO, they might have to, but uh, wow. I, they certainly wouldn't in Syria. Uh, but we've already had this play out. When they took over that area, it was against the, uh, the Russians and the Syrian army. The Russians backed the Syrian army. Um, uh, Iran actually opposed it, but didn't, I think, actively intervene there because they're pretty extended already. The, um, uh, so, the, so Russia sees itself as peacemakers, even though even though observers may think that in the end they really are aligned with one of them. They see themselves more as trying to keep the peace between the two of them. Well, they want to be the, the key player, and uh, as such, that can be as a peacemaker or, or war maker to, to instigate uh, problems uh, between the parties so that they divide and, and in that way maintain their influence. Look, they don't want the Iranians to dominate uh, Syria. They don't trust them. They certainly don't trust the Turks. There's a long history of animosity between Russia and Turkey and Russia and Iran. And so there, it's a marriage of convenience right now. The Chinese are also becoming players in in, a, in the in the situation, uh, and gets but they do it very quietly. And uh, um, as Syria has indicated that they want to be part of the belt, um, the new thing, the Belt and Road uh, structure that Turkey is building across the, the world, uh, half the world already, um, and the. Um, and so the conflict between the different parties and each one staking out their uh, their interests um, is – and you see now the, the Congress, for instance, has adopted a bunch of measures of late against Turkey with very strong votes, including the recognition of the Armenian genocide, but more importantly, condemnations over the purchase of the S-400 and, and other things, which has gotten Turkey uh, upset because they don't want to be under these kind of uh, – uh, of sanctions and also in a vote of I think it was like 300 to 120 on their actions against Cyprus that I, I mentioned uh, a real rebuke for them for for their interference in the trying to block the oil exploration etc um, so it, it, everything's at stake and this is something that become very explosive right now Turkey is very involved in Libya inside Libya and came out and complained about the Russian involvement inside Libya and the fact that they have troops and, and uh, weapon shipments into into it. Um, so everything is linked to something else. That's when I talk about the intricacies of the situation and how everything is interrelated. This is really a good example of it. Wow. Um, what about this uh, Iran Japan meeting? There was a meeting of their uh, of their of their leaders this week, right? Yeah, and Japan asked that they not continue to violate the JCPOA and that they should adhere to it. 
But Iranian officials are running all over the world. They, they're desperate to break out of the isolation that the United States has put them in. You know, the Europeans are still working on instex, and supposedly six more countries said that they would support it. But there hasn't been one transaction under it. And countries are not, and companies are not going to risk their ability to deal with the United States and the American uh, market and access to the dollar for, uh, to, to do business in, in Iran. So even though the government, the European government, supported, um, there, there hasn't been um, on the ground actual activities that um, uh, would support that. And Japan certainly is not going to risk its trade with the United States and and the economic dealings uh, for its involvement with uh, Iran. So there are a lot. There's a lot of talk. I mean, there is some effort. Certainly, the Chinese black market smuggling. Uh, energy oil from and gas from um, uh, Iran, but it's it's uh, minimal. Do you think the impeachment procedure and whatever length of time it's going to take is going to affect uh, the United States' ability to be influential as as much as it is in foreign policy? I do, uh, and I think I think for one thing it's a diversion. Uh, for another thing, you know, people are, don't have, are unsure abroad about what the future is of the president or the system. Uh, can they rely on it? Do they feel that America will in, will come will be able to intervene if if everybody is preoccupied with um, uh, with the proceedings that are going on? And at the same time, America continues to function and to work in the region. But I, I've heard from leaders that even this week. People came from the region who were expressing their concern about what does it mean and how does it impact and the longer-term impact of uh, of this. Do you think the democratic debates are discouraging world leaders from dealing with the United States? Do I think what? <laughs> the democratic debate <laughs> is discouraging world leaders from dealing with the United States. <laughs> my, my, my point being that, that – They admire American de- de- democracy. Do they? I hope so. Uh, as a Republican Democrat, it doesn't matter. They know that America is strong and America continues. They want America to be strong. And even some of those who criticize this, they want America to be involved and be strong. And when America appears to be pulling back or is not visible in their activities, uh, I can't tell you how many uh, Muslim Arab countries uh, are concerned about it. Um, They want America to be engaged. It's the only neutral party. It's the only one that that they can... No, they know it's not interested in their territory. It's not interested in exploiting them. That it, it it can play a positive role. Does the U.S. and/or Israel have enough negotiating power with Russia right now to uh, make a deal to get this American-born Israeli woman who was sentenced to seven and a half years for cannabis in her luggage uh, out of Russia? Well, so far, no. Uh, this is an Israeli-American woman, so right. both countries uh, theoretically should have an interest in. In helping her, it's uh, it's terrible. She's been there for eight months. Um, Israel has been trying to deal with this in a diplomatic way without public manifestations. Uh, so far, it has not helped. They reconfirmed her sentence uh, this week. She still has some other appeals, but um, it's. Uh, uh, I know that the Prime Minister has talked to to Putin about it, and uh, this was a setback for him. I think when when the, the Russians refused this week because he spoke about it at the rallies that he's going to bring her home, and he has been very committed to it and working on it. But the um, the fact is that that Russia uses it is using it as leverage. There's somebody they want back, uh, somebody Israel deported to the U.S. Uh, from Russia uh, who is involved in hacking and some cyber warfare stuff. 
so everything becomes a, a, a trading matter for Putin. So it is possible they may have the chips necessary to make a deal. Uh, I am curious, as I'm sure others are, about your encounters with Gula Cohen. I, I knew her. I can't say I knew her that well, but I knew her, and I had many times uh, we had meetings with her. Uh, she was, uh, you know, one of that the, one of the last of that generation of the leaders. She was very tough, very strong. You know, Tzachi Negbi is her son, uh, the minister in the current government, um, and reflects some of her views, but has, doesn't even have the fire that she had. She was uh, a staunch supporter of Begin, but she was she was very right and. Um, very strong nationalist for Israel and very consistent in that. I think she had earned universal support, even though some were critics of her, uh, for her determined stance and her principle and her love for Israel and standing up for the country. And one does not have to be in the highest position to have a role in changing history. That's no, Absolutely. She, she was a, a, a figure in Israel's history of importance. Uh, all right. Speaking of Israel, you know the topic. The topic is uh, March the second. These Israeli elections coming up. It's now a week since we've discussed it. Is there anything new to discuss regarding the upcoming election? Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a steady topic. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know the um, you know they take over the Knesset before an election, so the Knesset can't function. All the offices, everything is taken over by the elections committee. Um, so. Uh, you know, the, the question is, does this prove after all this this period now, third election, that maybe you don't need a government, maybe just let things go. Um, but obviously, it's um, it has an impact. It diverts attention. It's it's uh, become the focus of, uh, of obviously the media. And until they resolve now that Likud has an internal challenge that they have to deal with, and everybody's polls, which will continue until the day before the election, and, and I think that they will continue to change on a regular basis. Uh, it, it, it's a situation in flux, and you'll have the legal maneuvering still going on. So it's going to be a, a question of the turnout. It's going to be a question of how angry people are. Will they punish anybody? Will the religious parties and the right is said to be stronger? The left is said to be stronger. Uh, right now, blue and white leads, but even internally there you see the, the differences. So uh, it's, a, it's a very long time for um, till, till we'll be able to say what the real impact is. I don't think any prognosticator is even willing to, to say that it, that it's over for Bibi. I mean, you'd think there'd be somebody out there that would really think that this is it, that there's no way he's going to survive this next process. And I don't think anybody's you know, out there willing to take that risk to even say that at this point. And, well, first of all, the question is, will he lead the Likud? And I think you know they've, they've uh, um, eliminated a number of the people who are in opposition. But Saar has uh, mounted a, a challenge, and uh, Yuli Edelstein, the Speaker of Knesset, and Gilad Erdan, the Minister security and police and other things and strategic affairs have joined to join together to strategize and to respond politically in unison uh, which could be against Netanyahu or whatever they decide and a few members uh, of Knesset have come out in support of uh, Saar but we don't know what his real numbers are right now one has to bet that BB will retain control but the question is, will it be a fractionated party? Will they really unify? Will they make deals with he serves for three months, four months? Will they uh, promise to try to get an immunity platform through, which I think 
would lessen his determination to to remain in office. Um, so it's it's um, it's going to be a, a very tough period, and the people become more and more disenchanted with the system and with things, and that's always bad for a democracy. Why did Angela Merkel feel it necessary to defend Germany's voting on Israel at the United Nations? because she's come under a lot of fire. You saw that the parliament in Germany came out and demanded that the, by a strong vote, to to get rid of the ban Hezbollah activities in Germany and putting the pressure on the government, which should have been moving in that direction. And we've seen a weakening in terms of of some of the votes. Uh, And so she is always sensitive, Germany uh, sensitive to the relationship uh, with Israel. But I think it will be increasingly less so. You saw that Mike Pence is going to be at the uh, Auschwitz Liberation Anniversary? Yes, so I think right now there are about 40 heads of state who will be coming to Israel for the 75th anniversary commemoration. (laughs) There will also be one in Auschwitz uh, on the 27th, which a a number of heads of state are attending. And then, of course, um, on uh, Holocaust Independence Day itself, uh, Holocaust Commemoration Day itself, After Pesach, um, there will be the uh, big events at uh, the Auschwitz, the March of the Living, and leaders come to that as well. So it is it is a commemoration. The question is, do they learn the lessons? It's not enough to come and shed crocodile tears over dead Jews. They have to come and commit to a living Jewish state, and that's why doing it in Israel and, and having these foreign leaders come, and of course the vice president being there is, is very important, um, to declare not just about the Holocaust, but never again means standing up against the rise of anti-Semitism today and that those states that refuse to stand by Israel and the Jewish people and don't take action against the anti-Semites will will not get away with just, you know, platitudinal statements at the, at a, a memorial, but are going to be met, that it has to be matched with real actions. Finally, what do you think of uh, Pompeo's uh, tweet about the Zionism race? Of not, not even a significant anniversary. It was 28 years since the repeal of the United Nations. What do you think of him going out of the way to point that out? I think it's very important, and um, uh, 28 years is a significant anniversary in the sense that it's a reminder because I believe that you can trace a lot of the things that we're witnessing today to the BDS, including Zionism, racism being fertile ground for BDS, for many of the other activities. Uh, if you remember the fight then when, when pre- uh, later President uh, uh, Herzog, then a UN ambassador from Israel, yep. Herzog and Senator Moynihan stood up in the United Nations and tore up the Zionism, racism resolution. Right. And I organized a rally outside. We had a big conference there and um, uh, many important people participated, including uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, and the um, uh, the fact that it took 25 years to repeal it, the fact that the um, world accepted this declaration, which said essentially that the Jews have no right to a state of their own, that uh, that any the Zionist movement in its very nature, and it's not the political movement; it's the right of Jews to have a state. It's the right of Israel to exist. Was on the books for 25 years, and I think 
that he was mentioning it to point it out to remind people in a time when rising anti-Semitism that there are roots to where the international community in the U.N. today, till now, again this week, passed many resolutions, I think seven or eight resolutions against the state of Israel. And while the votes may be a little bit less than in, in the past, but the fact is that the bias continues, and I think that his reminder and his mentioning it is very important because today, if you ask young people, they have no idea what Zionism racism right. was, and yet I, it still continues to impact their lives. And I love your point that if you, if you examine the history of BDS, that's an excellent place to start. I didn't even think of it like that, but that, that certainly gave a tremendous amount of momentum to anybody who ended up being a real BDSer. And the Russians and, and the Arabs, you know, worked in it a long time, and this the language uh, came from from Russian sources at the time, uh, and and it wasn't just the, you know something we thought of at the last minute and just introduced. Right. This was part of an organized effort, a sustained effort for decades, to to isolate Israel and the Jewish people. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a happy Hanukkah. I assume we'll speak next week on Erev Shabbos Hanukkah. God willing, but just remember, we still have the miracles today. The state of Israel, the Jewish people, we have so many things to be thankful for. But the miracles don't happen if we don't appreciate them. Yeah, and if we don't work toward them as well. There's, a, there's, there's an input that we have in them. 100%. Thank you very much. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. By the way, I mentioned Geula Cohen. I want to remind our listeners that Mayor Weingarten this coming Monday between 9 and 10 a.m. right after JM and the AM is not only going to be doing the Israel show, which he does each week, but he will include some of the retrospective and some of the historic uh, information about Geula Cohen and the entire uh, Likud, Cheirut uh, movement. Um, yeah, I put Likud and Cheirut in the same sentence. How do you like that? Uh, <laughs> that's happening between 9 and 10 this coming Monday live. Mayor Weingarten on the first day of Hanukkah with the Israel show. Make sure to be tuned in right after JM in the AM.